Hello, this is Eric Bryant, pastor at Gateway Church in South Austin. If you want more resources, including the notes from this message, go to ericbryant.org. Or to find out more about our community, go to gatewaychurch.com slash south. All right, so the book of Galatians is probably the first letter that Paul wrote. Um, he uh, really did an incredible job of being clear on the framework for these diverse church communities that were getting started. Now, the way the Bible Project said it is this. Paul shows how the good news should create ethnically diverse communities that are unified by devotion to Jesus and to each other. Now, if you're not familiar with Paul, uh, we can learn a lot about him from the book of Acts. And it tells much of his story, and then you can add to that the letters that he's written. So we have a really good picture of a man who lived 2,000 years ago. Uh, the verse, last verse of chapter 8 in Acts, we actually see him as Saul there at the stoning of Stephen, the first martyr. He was killed because as he was telling the story of Jesus, the religious leaders didn't like it and started throwing rocks at him, and Saul was there giving his approval. And then in chapter 9, we have this miraculous moment where he has this vision of Jesus. And uh, Jesus says, Saul, Saul, why, why do you persecute me? He's blinded. He's sent into a city. A man comes and prays for him. He's able to see again, and now he's a follower of Jesus. Now, he thought, this is, it, it's hard to get into the mindset of somebody who's a religious fanatic, who believes that violence is what God would want. But his, uh, what he grew up with was this idea that the Messiah is coming soon, but we have to have uh, a purity for him to come. So he saw Christianity as an impurity, and we got to get rid of it in order for the Messiah to come. And so this is a really interesting thing. Uh, this is, again, why you got to read the scriptures uh, uh, for what the scriptures actually say. When you look at the name of God seven different times throughout the Old Testament, we discover that God uh, is loving and compassionate and kind, quick to forgive, slow to send calamity. That, that's the God of the scriptures. And anytime it skews from that, you're diving into something man-made or religion, right? So what happens is Saul surrenders his life, starts following Jesus, and he then starts um, basically planting churches. Not immediately, but he becomes a missionary and author of most of the letters, so look at uh, Galatians chapter 1, verses uh, 1 and 2, and here's how he starts off. He kind of jumps right in. He says, Paul, an apostle, that means one who is sent out. And he says, I'm sent not for men nor by a man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead and all the brothers and sisters with me to the churches in Galatia, Galatians 1 through 2. And so here's kind of jumping into the story. Uh, we can go back and see more of the context and read Acts chapters 13 and 14. So literally, we are able to see, oh, he's saying he was sent out as a missionary. Let's go read about when he was sent out as a missionary. This is Acts 13, 1 through 4. It says this, Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manian, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. And so this begins the adventures of Paul. And for a while, Paul and Barnabas, they traveled together. Um, 
in this map, you can see uh, what's called the three missionary journeys of Paul. Um, but others would say, well, actually, that trip to Rome is like a fourth missionary journey because everywhere Paul went, he would tell people about Jesus. So even if he wasn't choosing where to go because he was on his way to Rome uh, because he basically asked to see you know, the emperor, he, wanted to, he pled his case all the way up. And so, but you can see all those lines. I mean, just think, travel 2,000 years ago, how much distance he traveled and covered and just the, the loop. And you can go read Acts 13 and 14 is this first missionary trip where he went to a region, you can see it there, called Galatia. And so really, the letter to the Galatians is actually written to a, a group of churches in the area. So then chapters 13 uh, and 14 kind of give us how he does this. So on his first missionary trip, um, and Sonia was with me, we got to go to Israel and see a synagogue that Jesus spoke in. And um, and the way that he would do it, Paul basically would do it, is he would first go to the synagogue and he would start talking about um, the Messiah, it was the, the prophesied one, the anointed one has come. And so sometimes that was really fascinating to people. In chapter 13, verses 14 to 16, it says, um, basically, the folks at the synagogue said, tell us, tell us if you have any word of encouragement. So Paul stood up. And he basically shares the entire history of Israel, culminating in the arrival of the Messiah. And some of them got really excited and loved the idea that, wow, this is this possible. And then others were like, could you please stick around? Tell us more. And then others got upset and would actually try to stop Paul from talking. And this happened in city after city. So he ends up in jail many, many, many times. And, but he has these crazy reactions. So he goes to another town called Iconium. And then he goes to another town. Uh, and by the way, people from the previous town showed up to try to get rid of Paul. So they're kind of chasing him now. Then he goes to Lystra. He prays for a man who's healed. And the Gentile crowds, the pagan crowds, are like, oh my gosh, this must be Hermes because he keeps talking. And Barnabas must be Zeus. And they literally want to throw a, a banquet, offer sacrifices to these gods who are walking among us. And so... They were like, okay, wait, no, that's not the message uh, we have for you. Uh, and so it's just literally story after story of incredible experiences, people being healed. It's a lot like what was happening with Jesus, but a lot more jail time, right? And so uh, Paul was not as smart as Jesus. But uh, here's the churches of Galatia. And I have another little map I'll show you. Yep. So you'll see the churches of Galatia, this little part of the world, um, Antioch of Pisidia, Iconium, Lystra, and Derbe. Um, and they were mostly Gentiles, as we discovered earlier. So there are three sections. Uh, if you go to the next one. Oh, um, I put it in the wrong order. Yeah, there we go. So here's the outline. First two chapters about the gospel of the crucified Messiah. This is from the Bible Project. I liked how they described it. It's actually a sentence. The gospel of the crucified Messiah creates a new multi-ethnic family that is transformed by the Spirit. That's one sentence that describes the whole book. And as you read it, you'll start to, to see that's the, the theme throughout. So basically what happens is Paul goes on this journey, starts these churches, and then he gets back to Antioch, we think, and writes a letter to them because he's now heard rumors of what's been happening. And so let's look at the first section. Um, yeah, that's right. 
Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. So we sang a song the last few weeks. Does anyone remember as Hannah described what the word amen means? We sang a song called Yes and Amen. What does amen mean? Let it be so or so be it. It's like a declaration. This, may this be true or this is true. And so what's interesting, look again at verse three. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now for those of us on this side of Paul, that may have been what we grew up with. But Paul is making a declaration. There is no distinction in his mind between God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. It's a seamless connection. He was a devoted Pharisee, trained in the law, a Hebrew of Hebrews. So the arrival of Jesus, as he had this encounter with him, it became clear to him that Jesus was the promised Messiah, God in the flesh. Again, for him, there was no, uh, it was not confusing at all that there is only one God who's revealed himself in the person of Jesus. And so Christ, the word Christ, Lord Jesus Christ, that's not his last name. Uh, what Christ means is the king, the Jewish Messiah who came to rescue all of humanity. So this is the God revealed to us in Jesus. And if you want to know who God is, then look at Jesus. Right? That's the best way to figure it out. But what happened is he's had this great experience, miracles, people thinking he's Hermes, uh, riots, crazy experiences. Then he hears that some of the people in these churches had basically started following this false ideology. They were Gentiles who were being told by what's called Judaizers, oh, if you really want to follow Jesus, then you have to become Jewish first. Now, in those days, um, we talked about this a couple weeks ago, and basically one of the ways you were uh, marked as being Jewish as men was you were circumcised. And it sounds funny, like, well, how would anyone know? Well, in those days, uh, the, at the baths, where everybody would, the Roman baths, you would know. Oh, that dude's Jewish. Oh, that dude's not. Right? They just knew. And so it was a marker. Uh, we don't have time to talk about why that marker. Um, but what I will say is there were other things. They would celebrate special holidays. Um, they would... Um, certainly worship just one God. Think about in a pagan world where they believed in all the different gods, they were just worshiping one. And so there was all these distinctions. They would only eat certain types of food. So he's being told that they are now starting to act Jewish, and if they don't, they're not welcome anymore. And so they seem to be receptive to this teaching, and basically he is writing them to correct them. So uh, he goes into his authority, Galatians 1, 11, and 12. I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel I preach is not of human origin. I didn't receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. For you've heard of my previous way of life in Judaism, how intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. And then Paul goes into his timeline in that part of the letter. He tells them their whole story. Now, there is a timeline on this page that's going to be impossible to read, but if you want to go look up Paul's timeline, you can see the year he was born, um, when he came to faith, and then the journeys. I mean, basically, this wasn't like he had this vision of Jesus, and the next day he's writing letters to Galatians. He literally had a journey, kind of his wilderness experience before he was ready. Think about this. 
If Paul showed up and uh, to your church and all you heard was, this is the dude that's been trying to kill Christians, he probably was not very well received, right? But here's what's really cool. Verse 23, 24, um, he says, uh, there was a report going around about Saul, who is now going by Paul. The man who formerly persecuted us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they praised God because of me. How cool would that be if others would be so amazed by the transformation in our life that they would be grateful to God for what they see in us? You know, may that be true of us. All right, then we heard a little bit about the confrontation with Peter. When Paul confronts Peter about his decision to eat exclusively with the men from James, so these are these Judaizers, he, he does so to show that those things, think about this, circumcision, food laws, ritual purity, namely those things that to the Jewish people communicated covenant membership are not the things that make one part of those who are justified in Christ Jesus. Paul's not just setting their theology straight, he's eradicating the massive cultural barriers between Jews and Gentiles. That's a quote from Kyle Rouse. Here's another quote. To understand Judaism at that time, this is uh, Ligon Duncan. He said this, First century Judaism was not a merit-based religion, but a covenant community created by God's grace. Mainstream Judaism understood that through God's covenant, they were already right with him. So think about this. They grew up feeling, I'm right with God because I'm Jewish. The law was not a means of getting saved, but by staying saved. So I got to do the right thing or else I'm no longer of the covenant people. So keeping God's law was the appropriate response to God's covenant mercy. Now, what you and I would say, and it's because of we read books like Galatians and Romans, is the understanding of when it comes to the works versus faith. What saves us is faith, not works. Because if we could do enough good to get to God, then God never needed to come to get to us. The way I heard it described when I was uh, younger was it's like swimming to Hawaii from California. No one can get there. Perfection is who God is. We can't make it. Uh, some might get further than others, but you know, getting closer to Hawaii versus making it to Hawaii are two very different things. And so um, there's this idea of and what we need to understand is that Jesus equals salvation. Now, if you add anything to that equation, you guys remember algebra? A little bit, tried to forget. So if you put anything, so Jesus plus the works equals salvation, that means you're diminishing what Jesus did, right? Jesus plus obeying the law equals salvation. Again, you're diminishing what Jesus did. I uh, heard a phrase uh, before, Jesus plus nothing equals everything. So the idea is you trust God because of what he's done for us. And out of gratitude, that's why you do good things, right? So if you're not careful, if you're raised in the South, uh, raised in certain types of um, churches, you might have this misconception, as long as I do enough good to offset my bad, everything's okay. But if the entry fee to... God's presence is perfection. It doesn't matter how much good you do. We're not going to get there. 
The beauty is we don't have to do anything to get to God because God came to us. Uh, the pastor in Los Angeles, I mentioned earlier, Erwin McManus, I remember somebody at a Q&A asked him, you know, there's so many different world religions. Why do you believe in Jesus? And he responded, because Jesus is the only one who came for me. The story of the scriptures is God coming to us. Every other kind of worldview is about what we can do and must do to get to God. And there's a huge difference. That's more religion. It's what man does to get to God. The message of Jesus is he came for us. Now, here's the dilemma. Some have taken the message of Jesus and turned it into a religion. And so that you can grow up going to church and still not know God personally the way the whole experience was to be designed. All right, so how do we know God? How can we know God? Uh, verse 2, I mean, verse 16, chapter 2. A person is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus, that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law, because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. To be justified means to be made right with God. So how are we made right with God, according to Paul? Faith, not works. Before you did anything for God, he did everything for you. Think about that for a moment. You were created on purpose and for a purpose. There's actually a passage in the scriptures that says that each person was put at the exact place on the planet and time in history that gives them the best opportunity to say yes to him. Acts chapter 17, one of Paul's messages to the people of Athens. Isn't that a fascinating thought? That you were born when you were born, where you were born, because that's the best opportunity for you to find faith. And I've had conversations with people born in countries that don't have access to Bibles and don't have the opportunity to um, go to church and reject it later, you know, uh, and they will tell you miraculous stories of how they found faith in Jesus. One of those guys is a, a man named Jaya, who we support uh, in his work in India, and he had this vision as a little kid, back up a little bit, uh, he grew up Hindu, and every night his family was very devoted, and they would put uh, fruit at the altars of the different Hindu gods. And one night he decided to stay up late to see God show up. And so he sneaks into the living room and he's waiting and waiting, I guess kind of like we do for Santa Claus. And he sees these rats come out and start eating the fruit. And he was so demoralized and discouraged and so he brings it up to his uncle. His uncle beat him and told him not to ask questions, not to doubt. Eventually, things got terrible at home. He runs away, decides to kill himself on a train track. He's laying on the train track, ready to be hit by a train, and he has a vision of a man in a white robe and telling him to get up. And so he gets up, and he doesn't get killed. Instead, he gets on another train and ends up in a conversation, I guess, a while later, and he explains to somebody the story and that person says, oh, that must have been Jesus. So here he is, almost 20 years old, never heard the name of Jesus, but he had a vision of Jesus. The moment uh, somebody told him who it was, he knew that's to be true. Uh, oh, at this point, I think he knew him as uh, the God of light. And, and so then he runs across somebody who could explain what it meant. And now he follows Jesus. Him and his wife have an orphanage with dozens of kids they raise. 
They've started churches, have a hospital. We helped build that hospital out of your generosity from Gateway. And so here's a guy who never heard the name of Jesus and follows him. God is more concerned with the people that have never heard than even we are. So uh, here's one of my favorite verses, Galatians 2.20. One of the first verses I memorized And it is a great picture of what it means to follow Jesus. All right? This is Paul talking, but this could be true of us. This is something we can memorize. This is something we can say, especially when we don't feel like it. All right? I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live. But Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. So the beautiful thing is God's inviting us to experience the fullness of life, to die to self, to live a new life. Now, have you noticed um, in almost every superhero movie, um, the superhero goes through, uh, he basically or she has to sacrifice their life in order to save the day, but then they don't really die. Have you noticed that? I mean, you can, I can name all sorts of stuff in pop culture. It is so, it resonates with us because of that is the story of Jesus. Now, what's interesting, there's um, kind of this uh, new, Jesus, the story of Jesus, sacrifice and giving his life on purpose, dying for you and me. Um, there was no story like that before. There's kind of this rumor in pop culture, oh, that's based on different gods and other stories. If you do the deep dive, you'll discover those stories are nothing like the story of Jesus. And in fact, it was like 100 years ago that people started to say that, or 50 years ago. But that story resonates within our soul because it's what we know we need. And so this leads us to chapter 3 and 4, which is when we see Paul talking about this new multi-ethnic family. And he starts with the story of Abraham. And if, if you think about it this way, if you remember... Um, or you know the story of Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. God says to Abram, I am going to bless you, and through you bless all the nations. So it's an unusual, this isn't like a kickball game where some get picked and the others don't. This is, I'm choosing you so that you can help me get everyone else. So here's the dilemma with that. When you are chosen, it's hard not to feel a little bit better than everybody else even though you were chosen for everybody else, right? And so he was supposed to be a blessing to all the nations. That's why he was blessed. The people of Israel were blessed to be a blessing to all the nations. But all of a sudden, a lot of their understanding of the law was we're clean and they're unclean, and there was a big, giant division. And so what happened is um, sometimes those who are blessed have trouble being a blessing, because we see ourselves as chosen and the others are not. But in reality, we are chosen to help others know they are chosen. And the church has the same struggle. We do the same thing the people of Israel have done. Now, here's what's interesting. Here's what Paul points out. He says that Abraham believed. This is in the Hebrew Scriptures. It says Abraham believed and it was credited to him as righteousness. So in other words, it was his faith, not his actions. In fact, the law didn't come for another 400 years. So you can't say, well, Abraham was such a good man because he obeyed the law. There was no law yet. See, what happened is in the, before Jesus, 
The way that you experienced new life or salvation was you trusted in the God who was coming to rescue you. On this side of Jesus, we trust in the God who came to rescue us and is coming again to make things right. So trusting in a God to rescue you rather than I can get myself there to God or I don't need God, I'm so good. Those are two very different postures. Anyone who has in their heart a desire to be rescued and a need, uh, an awareness that they need God to rescue them has the right posture to experience life from God. All right. So then we see in chapter three, one of the most revolutionary and remarkable verses uh, in the whole Bible. All right. This is incredible. Uh, Let me just ask real quickly, how many of you have ever heard that the Bible uh, or even Paul specifically is anti-women? Has anyone ever heard that? Okay. A few of you. Um, Um, Have you ever heard um, people of um, faith, or maybe, let me ask you this. You ever see, um, oh, I'm going to forget the name of it, 12 Years a Slave? And you you saw like the the master reading the Bible to control people? Have you ever heard the Bible's, you know, outdated when it comes to those things? I want you to listen to this verse. Or, or, or have you ever heard of Christians who were um, uh, biased or uh, bigoted or racist? Okay. Um, listen to this verse. This is what the Bible actually says. This is Paul. By the way, this was, again, I said this earlier. This is probably the first letter written in the New Testament. Right? So it was written in about 15 years after Jesus. And some of those gospels came a little bit later. Uh, some of his other letters came a little bit later. Um, so this is, this is literally setting the foundation for what the early church would be like. And listen to what, what he wrote. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. In this new kingdom, because Jesus is the new Adam, he is the the, uh, expression of what humanity is supposed to be and will be after all things are made right. In Christ, there is no difference between people because of their ethnic backgrounds. No distinction between Jew and Gentile. No distinction between men and women. No distinction between slave or free. Now, if you missed the message from Sunday, I talked a lot about slavery and how the book of Philemon was literally like a time bomb that basically advocated for freedom for slaves and was used over the centuries to bring freedom. Anti-slavery abolitionists were influenced by Paul And so all this to say, this is a remarkable revolutionary statement. And think about this. In the Roman world, there were little pockets of multi-ethnic communities meeting in houses where a woman could walk in and be treated as an equal. In a a time in history when literally uh, women's eyewitness account of a murder would not count. Uh, It wasn't until the 1970s in America that a woman 
could get a loan for a house without her father or a husband. What on earth? 2,000 years ago in the Bible right here, it was literally, there's no distinction between men and women. And when Paul writes about spiritual gifts, there's no distinction who gets leadership, who gets prophesying. It's literally given to all of us. You could be in a house church and somebody who is a servant, a slave, who is literally, I can't, I, I can't leave this place because if I do and get caught, I will be executed. Without this place, I have no place to live. I have no job. And in that house church, they might be the one who's sharing the message. They might have a gift of leadership. Uh, it, there was no distinction. I'm telling you, it's hard for us on this side of Jesus to understand how revolutionary this is. And then that distinction when it comes to ethnicity and race, there's no distinction between Jew and Gentile. By the way, does anyone know what a Gentile is? Anyone that's not Jewish. <laughs> Literally. It was us versus the world. And that's not what God intended. It was blessed to be a blessing to the world. 500 times from the beginning of the scriptures to the end, all nations are mentioned. God's heart for all nations, nations are mentioned. All right, Galatians 5 and 6. Uh, end of chapter four kind of goes into this beautiful vision that we are adopted into God's family. He is like our father, Abba. I shared an Abba story on Sunday. Even sang a little bit of Abba. If you missed it, you can listen to it later. It'll be the last time I ever sing. And uh, but chapters five and six are about how we are transformed by the Spirit. We don't have time to read through all of this. But I do want to just read a three uh, verses. Well, I'll try to hit a few more. Let me just go through these. Chapter 5, verse 1, 6, and 12. 1 and 6 are revolutionary. 12 is hilarious. Okay. Um, chapter 5, verse 1. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Um, <clears throat> Kenny Green called up one of our uh, friends, mutual friends, who struggled with smoking for years. He just felt prompted. He reached out to him and said to him, I need to ask you something. He said, do you enjoy smoking or do you hate it and it's got a hold of you? And he just started weeping, saying, I hate it, but I cannot stop. See, this is a gift. We're invited in to live a new life. It's not that God wants us to stop doing all the things that are fun. It's that some of the things we thought were fun actually grab a hold of us and keep us hostage. Verse 6, for in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. And then one of the funniest verses in the whole Bible, just had to include it. As, those, as for those agitators, I wish they would go the whole way and emasculate themselves. The people who are saying you got to get circumcised, I wish they just cut the whole thing off. That's literally what it says. That's in the Bible. I'm not making this up. I told you, it's hilarious. All right. So then this last little section, this is a beautiful section, um, and maybe we'll just kind of conclude with this section. Uh, well, gosh, there's too much. Okay. Let me just do this, and then there's one thing I'll conclude with. Okay, so here we go. Let's just, just listen to these words. I want you to hear them with an open heart and open mind, because some of these verses have been used to condemn people, or, or some of these verses will make you feel guilty. But that's not from God. The Spirit of God brings freedom, not condemnation. So, But I want you to listen to this. This is a promise. This is a gift. Verse 13, you, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. But do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. 
For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. So I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Let me just pause there. I want you to hear what he's saying. Kind of like what we talked about with Ephesians. The scriptures don't give us tips on sin management. It's not about, well, how far is too far? What can I get away with? It's literally an invitation to replace what is destructive with what brings you life. So if you're trying to get rid of worry, you focus on peace. Because if you're trying not to worry, then you're worrying about worrying, right? If you're focused on peace, if you struggle with dark thoughts or lustful thoughts, replace those thoughts with, with love, honor, right? Here's how you do it. A terrible thought comes to your mind. You use that as a reminder to pray. You take that thought captive. You say, God, I just had a terrible thought, and that's not who I am anymore. And here's what happens. You'll have another terrible thought later, and you'll think, I'm never going to get past this. And the, the true statement is, not on this side of eternity. You and I live in a broken world, and their negative thoughts are going to come all the time. It's what you do with them that determines the kind of person you're going to become. It's not a sin to be tempted. It's what you do when you're tempted that determines the type of person you're going to become. So then listen to this, okay? So there's this battle happening between the flesh and the spirit. In this planet, on this side of heaven, we will always have this battle. But here's the beauty. The closer you get to God, the less you will desire the things that are keeping you trapped now. So here's the acts of the flesh. If you're not sure what is destructive in my life, he's about to tell us. They are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. One time I was at Mosaic, and a woman stood up and was reading this passage and sharing her story, and after she read that, she said, before Jesus, I've done all these things. And then she said, well, not, no orgies, but I've done all these things. So, we didn't ask, but thank you for telling us. But what she went on to read is, but this is who I am now. And this is the promise to all of us. When you say yes to Jesus, this is what he offers us. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Jesus Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. You find yourself going down a destructive path. All you got to do is remind yourself, wait, that's not who I am anymore. Replace the darkness with the light. And here's the beauty. With his help, we can live this way. And when we relapse, all you got to do, confess and start again. All right, so here's what's beautiful. This is a promise, not a threat. This should bring us joy, not guilt. If you feel guilty, all you got to do is say, wait a minute, guilt is not from you, God. The Bible says that. Condemnation is not from God. That's the darkness trying to get you to think that's who you're always going to be. But what God does is when you have what's called a sorrowful 
repentance. When you say, God, I don't want to be that way. Help me. I need your help. That leads to joy and peace. And like, that's indescribable. So we are new. We don't have to live the way we used to. And here's what's beautiful. Listen to chapter six. So in this, you know, this is what, this is what we're fighting with. Uh, to inherit the kingdom of God. We can't do anything to get to God. So it's not about, I got to stop this so God will love me. He already loves you. That's why we want to stop going that way. But then listen to the heart that we're to have for each other. Chapter six, verse one. Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you judge them. That's not what it says. (laughs) So we're making sure you're listening. You who live by the Spirit's uh, spirit should restore that person gently. You find somebody struggling, be kind to them, help them. But don't judge them. Instead, watch yourselves, or you might too be tempted. We're human. We're not superheroes. Carry each other's burdens. We're to be helping each other with our struggles. And in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks they are something when they are not, they deceive themselves. Each one should test their own actions. This is a warning from a place of love. And then verses, uh, verse eight, a man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the spirit from the spirit will reap eternal life. When you see God as a loving father who's warning you and wants what's best for you, it opens your eyes in reading the scriptures so differently. If you had an angry father or were judged and, and hypocrites that came after you, you will read this so differently and you'll just have that kind of negative filter that you read it. But I'm telling you, when you read this for what it says, it is the most transformative invitation that not only we can be transformed, but we can be a part of a community that's transformed and transforming others. So here's what I want to say.